But O oh Lord, may we desire you. And may we truly want to walk uprightly with you. And Lord, may we see you, O oh God, and you only as the focus of our eyes. It's so easy to get our eyes off to something else. But Lord Jesus, help us to see you and you alone, see you clearly, and no one else. May it truly be what we've just sung, that I truly want to see you. I want to see my Jesus. I live to see my Jesus. Knowing one day I'm going to go home to be with my Jesus. May you bless us as we look into your word and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in this area of Thanksgiving, this season of Thanksgiving. And it's a time for us to be able to say, Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And oftentimes we find it so hard to perform and to do. But we want to be able to say, Lord, thank you. So we stand together because we're going to thank the Lord for Akron Alliance Fellowship. We want to thank the Lord that we have a freedom together and worship Him. We want to thank the Lord that we have the opportunity to learn His Word. We want to thank the Lord that we can truly portray His character by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. We want to thank the Lord that we have the ability to influence others. And we want to... Thank the Lord that we can enter into the Holy of Holies and pray. And we do that. We pray for each other. Amen. You got me up back there? Do I need to? We're constantly in this area. I need some new batteries, I think, because who's not reaching? Yes. The Lord says unto us, unless we become like a little what? Yeah. Isn't it amazing how we're always correcting our children, but nobody corrects us? Isn't it amazing that if somebody gives my child something, I tell my child very quickly to do what? Say thank you. Tell them thank you. We're always telling the children to say thank you, thank you, but how about us? How about us? You know, when do we get to that place that we say, thank you, and we say it with a sincere heart, truly acknowledging it, that nobody owes me anything in this life, and I'm not entitled. Only thing you're entitled to do, watch me now, because this is all that you're entitled to do. That's a God-given right. Just about anything else past that, you're not really entitled to. But somehow we think we're entitled and that people should give us and people should this and people should that. Not true. People should show you respect. People should show you a certain amount of courtesy. But even at that, do we take time to say thank you? Thank you. And we need to become again like little children and just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, thanks is simply 
a way of expressing gratitude. That's all. It's a polite expression of our gratitude of the person who has shown kindness towards us or has done something for us. And sometimes we take people who are doing for us, we begin to take them for granted as though they owe this to me and that I should just allow them just to do it, you know. And we never say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I have to say thank you to a lot of people who helped form my life. I have to say thank you to a Mr. Beeler, a Mr. Ballard. I have to say thank you to a Stan Myers, to a Fred Jennings. I have to say thank you to many individuals who helped form my life. I have to say thank you to so many people because none of us liveth unto ourselves nor dieth unto ourselves. We help each other to become who we are. We need to understand that. We really do. It is something you do to show thanks. And what do you do to show thanks? Sometimes it's just matters of giving somebody a smile. You can show thanks. Or you can purchase a very small little item, a coffee cup. Or you can purchase some handkerchiefs or a scarf. You can purchase something very small just to show a person that you're thinking about them and you appreciate what they've done on what? On your behalf. In First Thessalonians 5.18 it says, Give thanks in all circumstances. And when you begin to do that, you begin to recognize in your life this sovereign God. This sovereign God who is over your life. You begin to be able to acknowledge Him. Because now I can thank Him in all circumstances. You say, well... Everything's not a good situation. Yes, it is, as long as you're breathing. It's a good situation. Because I don't care where you're at, what you're doing is this, and giving thanks is God the opportunity to work in your life. It is recognizing Him. It's acknowledging Him. And you're saying thanks to God, even before maybe He even acts, or even show you what He's going to do. You're saying thanks. And he says, give thanks in all situations of life. Why? He's the sovereign God over life. And what you're doing, you're acknowledging him. Even when you don't like it. Even when you don't like it. Before I had the surgery on this knee, I would go down the basement, and I'd be going down the steps. I'd get down the bottom steps, and I'd say, thank you, Lord. Because I realized I could have tumbled on down the steps. So... And then I got that handrail. I, one time I argued with the inspector. Why well, I need a handrail? I, I got two sides here. I'm not falling nowhere. Now I know why I got that handrail. I grab that thing and get to going, get halfway up, take a break, then go to the, and get up there and say, Thank you, Lord. Sometimes it's the simplest things in life that we often take for granted because we do it all the time that we think somehow God just entitled us the privilege to do it. Rather than saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Understanding that this is God's will for your life. This is God's will. I'm only here at this age in life only because it's God's will. You're only here in this age of life because it's God's will. It's only by God's grace you woke up this morning. God's will. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Romans 14, 6, turn to it. He says, He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Now, it's good to read the verse before it and after it, but I didn't have the space to put it in, so I didn't, because this is the main one that I want. But he said, He who regards a day as special does so to the Lord. In other words, he's thanking the Lord for that day. He's thanking the Lord for whatever that day is. He thanks God that he's able to see another day. And look what he says then, even to go a little further. He says, he who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks. Do you understand why we give blessing? I don't care if it's just a piece of bread and a glass of water. Thank you, Lord. Because you're acknowledging who has provided it for you. And he says, even those who just eat, they give thanks. And he goes a little bit further. Even to the point of sustaining from food. Because when you fast or when you sustain, guess who keeps you? And we give thanks. Does so to the Lord and give thanks. We thank the Lord because he's able to keep us. Now the question is, what dismisses a thankful heart? What is it that causes us not to think about God for a moment? What is it to recognize that what I've done or what I've achieved, I don't thank the Lord? And you need to be able to thank God for your success. Okay, how small that success is. You need to know from where that success has come from. You thank the Lord. You know, I hope what I see the football players and the basketball players do, when they score, first thing they do is this, or they get down and this. I'm hoping that's coming from what? A sincere heart. Because it's God who gave you the strength to run down the field, catch the ball, do whatever you did. But what is it that dismisses our thankfulness of our heart? One, a haughty person. That old thing, of, that old song is still true. I did it my way. A haughty person is, is a person who has a great pride of themselves. The only one that matters is themselves. And they lose the ability to thank the people who helped them get there. James is discovering that. Michael Jordan discovered that. You cannot win a championship by yourself. Let me share something with you. As a pastor, I cannot be successful without you. I'm dependent upon you. I'm dependent on you to help forge me and mold me and to shape me. And what you need not to do is allow me to do anything and everything. You need to help me walk a straight and narrow path. You need to help me, if I challenge you in something, that I'm also challenging me. Because the scripture says, boy, do you tell somebody not to steal, and you're what? 
Do I tell you not to do this, and yet I'm cheating on my wife? Do I tell you not to do this, but I'm doing it? No, you got to help me, and you are you're the ones that God has put in my life to hold me accountable of doing what is right according to that book. And I'm here to hold you accountable. We work with each other. No. Then it's people who expect others to do for them. You know, after people do so much for you, guess what? You forget to say thank you to them. Because you just think it's their duty. It's their job. Like if God didn't put them in your life to be your butler, be your maid, to be your... And somehow we forget to just say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know. Thirdly, it's people who look to God to always be available without giving Him any thanks or recognition. So therefore, He's there all the time, but the only time you want Him is during the crisis. Only time you want Him if you got some big fire going on in your life. Only time you want Him when you're on your sick bed. Only time you want Him when you ain't got nothing in the cupboards. Only time you want Him when your pockets are empty. No, you want Him all the time. And you want to recognize Him constantly. Because He's he's the one who's... Boy, guess what He's doing? The scripture says, he orders my step. He allows me to put this foot here, that one there. He allows me. He gives me that privilege. And sometimes I take that for granted. How many of you have ever been in a position with a bad back where you can't walk? Yeah. You kind of take it for granted that you can just do this. Without acknowledging, God gives you that ability to do that. And you're saying, thank you, Lord. But you're just expecting him to do it with no recognition. That you lose the ability to show gratefulness. Sometimes the heart gets so hard, so angry, so mad. And we can be mad at the world and mad at everybody that we... Forget how to show gratefulness, and we don't have a grateful heart. We don't have a grateful heart. We lose that ability, and you need to guard your heart. And Scripture says, guard your heart. It tells us to do that. Because we can lose the ability to be grateful to God. Because of what has happened to me in life, or what has, what this person did to me, or what took place over here. And we lose the ability to be grateful. Boy, to be grateful. Grateful to God for helping me throughout the day that He did it. A failure to appreciate God in your life. And there's a lot of people today, they'll be sitting at home, they'll be running a marathon, they'll be doing something else. And every Sunday is a day which many people, millions of people, billions of people, 
show that they do not appreciate a God who has given them life. Who do not appreciate a God who has given them life. Go with me to Psalms 107. We're going to camp there a little bit. And we're going to tear it apart just a little bit. Because God is going to tell us the wicked doesn't even have a mouth to say thanks. The unbeliever doesn't know from where his help comes from. Even though it's God who gives him the next breath. Even though it's God who allows him to think the way he thinks. See, God is never challenged with us and our thinking. For he understands that our thinking is nothing but foolishness unto him. But what God wants to do is dump into us his knowledge, his wisdom. He, he's never fearful about men's wisdom and knowledge. Because fleshly wisdom and knowledge is just foolishness unto God. But he wants to teach us. In, in Psalms 107, the very first verse, look what it says. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks. He's encouraging us to give thanks to the one who has given us life. He's encouraging us to give thanks to the one who is the sovereign God and over everything in my life or in this world. He's encouraging us to give thanks. Now, why would God have to encourage His people to give thanks to Him? Why would a parent have to say to a child, well, say thank you. Say thank you. Because the child thinks it's your duty to buy them clothes. The child thinks it's your duty to put food on that table. The child thinks it's your duty to give them a place to stay and to sleep. The child thinks it's the parent's duty. Now, understand something. It may be my duty, but understand something. Very, very, a lot of people miss it, especially those who have good homes. I can say bye to you. <laughs> Even though it's my duty, bye. Even though it's my responsibility, bye. Lord Orson, Annie or whatever, I can put you in a basket, put you in front of somebody else's doorstep. But what's so hard to just say thank you? Thank you. And God is saying even about his own people here. I have to teach my people to say thank you to me. I've given them life. I formed them in the womb. I knew them before the foundations of this earth was ever laid. But I understand the ungratitude of my people. That they don't appreciate what I showered down upon them. They don't appreciate it. 
and I have to teach them to say thank you. Why? Because God is good. God can't be anything else but good. God can't do anything else in your life but what is good. And oftentimes we think we can treat ourselves better than what God can treat us. And that's a big mistake. It says because God is good. Every good and perfect gift that comes from above is good for you. And God is showering you with it. God is good. Even on your worst day, understand this. God is still good to you. Even when you're cussing him, using his name in vain, God is good to you. Why? He allowed you to even open your mouth to say it. God is good. God is good. Why? He loves me. His love endures forever. In Romans 8... And he said, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Understand this. I don't care what you do, God loves you. Those in hell, God don't hate. God loves them. But understand, those in hell made a decision for themselves to go there because they would not make a decision to be with God. And God gave you what you wanted. On both ends of the spectrum, God gives us what we want. If I want Him, He opens His doors to me. He opens His arms to me. If I choose not to want Him, He lets me go the other way. Because it's what I want. I don't want to live eternally with God. I don't want to be in heaven with God. I'd rather be over here. And God allows it. And yet, He still loves me. He loves me. He loves me. It's something to see children beat up on parents and yet the parents still love them. It's something. I wish that was always true about children at times. See, you can spank a children, a child while they're young and they'll still love you. They'll even want to what? Run up into your arm. I mean, you just get done spanking them and what they want to do. You know. Now try that when they get 16, 17, 18. There's a difference now. Unless respect has really been built in. And the whole process, he says, his love endures forever. Why do I thank God? Because he's good to me. Why do I thank God? Because he, his love endures forever for me. No matter what I do, he loves me. Now, Who is it that God is looking for to give him thanks? That's an amazing question. Who is it that God is really looking to to give him thanks? You know, you can have the most raggediest dad, the most ugliest dad, the the worst parents in the world. But you need to be able to look at them and say, thank you because you gave me life. Now, you didn't clothe me, you didn't feed me, you didn't do this, and you can name all that other stuff. 
You can name how they beat you or how they did this or how they did that. But understand this. They gave you life. Now the quality of life you live now is on you. What you do after you get life, it's on you. How you shape and form that life and build that life, it's on you. But you can thank God for your parents for this simple fact. They gave you life. There's no perfect parents. But they gave you life. And God allowed it. God used them to bring you into the world. Grab hold of that. God used them to bring you into the world, to allow you to have life. You can wonder why didn't God put you over here or put you in this family or put you in that family. No, God put you exactly where he wanted you to be. And it may not have been the best circumstance. But out of that, God wanted to shape a life. God wanted to work. You were God's opportunity to show his loving kindness and his goodness. Who is it then? that God is looking for to give him thanks. When you go to verse 2, he answers that. He says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Let the redeemed of the Lord. If you're not redeemed, you're not going to say it. But if you know that God came alongside of you and redeemed you and purchased you and what God has done in delivering you and bought you back for himself and that God has worked in your life, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. And he says, let the redeemed. He doesn't say let everybody. He says, let the redeemed. Because it's only the redeemed who really know what God has done. It's only the redeemed. It's only those who are really saved really know what God has done in their life. And he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those in whom he has touched, those in whom he has ministered to, those in whom he has blessed. And extended his grace and favor unto those who know his mercy, who know his forgiveness. Let those whom God has truly redeemed, let them say, my God is good. My God is love and his love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say it. And then he goes on, he says, redeemed. Now, we take that word. Now, what does it really mean? It's the next of kin. It's the next of kin. It's the redeemer of someone in your family that comes alongside of you and give you what you have need of. It's the next of kin and as such to buy back a relative's property. Now, today we don't take this too serious, but to marry one's widow was to make sure that one's name lived on. It was not so much about the marriage, it was about the name of the one who had no children or no son to carry his name on, who did not want his name to be lost down through history or his family tree to be lost or cut off. It was the avenger. 
that a brother or someone who, boy, when you were maligned or you were killed or you were destroyed by some defame or lie or whatever, a brother would step in who would be your kin, who would bring up your honor, who would hold up your honor, who would hold up your name. A kinsman redeemer. There was one who avenged you and one who delivered you. We have that even in our state law. That's why you're encouraged to make a will. Because if you do not make a will, it goes to your next of kin. When my sister passed, she did not have a will. Nor did she have any children. But because my brother was on her life insurance, he assumed that everything was in a sense left to him. No, only thing that was left to him was what was in that life insurance policy. So when he went downtown to put her car over into his name, That's right, they told him no. And guess who he had to come see? He had to come see her father. Because she was he was the next living. And if she would have had minor children, it would still came to my father on behalf of the minor children. And my father had to sign off in order for him to be able to put my sister's car into his name. We follow in state law, in a sense, the same thing as the kinsman redeemer. That it is the next of kin that falls in line. The next of kin that has a certain responsibility. It's the next of kin. When you go in the hospital and you're not married, guess what they ask for? Next of kin. <laughs> If you don't have next of kin, we'll politely introduce you to a social worker who will be in charge. But it's the next of kin. Now, God acts as our next of kin. But oftentimes when he acts, because we oftentimes are blinded because of the pleasures of this world and the things that we want and the things that we want to see, We miss God at work on our behalf. We miss God at work on our behalf. I want you to see the importance of saying thank you to the Lord. Look at verse 8 in this psalm. Look at what it says. Let them give thanks. Let them give thanks. In verse 21, same thing. Let them give thanks. In 31, same thing. Let them give thanks. You, you, you think God is being repetitious here for the purpose of his people to catch it? That he's saying it over and over and over again? Because sometimes when somebody repeats themselves, they want to make sure you what? You understand that you're catching it. You're hearing it. And, and God is saying over and over again, 
Let's give thanks unto the Lord. Let's give thanks unto the Lord. Let's give thanks unto the Lord. Now again, who? Who? Go to verse 43. In verse 43, he comes back and he simply says, Whoever is wise, let him what? Take heed. After so many times I'm saying, Boy, give thanks unto the Lord. Give thanks unto the Lord. A dummy can figure that out after a while. And he says, He that is wise, take heed. Give me thanks. He that is wise, give me thanks. He says, take heed of this. And when the God says take heed to something, we need to take heed to it or something else is going to follow it that is worse. And we need to learn to take heed to it. You know. I remember mom would give us something, boy, and put it down there. And she'd say, say thank you. And you didn't say thank you. What happened? It got taken right back. <coughs> and she would stand there with it and she said, when you say thank you, then you can. Yeah. Understand something. Sometimes God can bless you with something. And all because you don't appreciate it, you lose it. Not that God takes it back, but the thief comes in and takes it. Because God has not guarded you that the thief would not be able to steal it. And he says, he that is wise, take heed. He that is wise, take heed of these things. And then look what he says. And consider. When you take that word consider, it means think it over. Think it through. So what God is saying at the very end of reading 107, he said, now go back through this and really contemplate it. Really look it over. Really think it through what I've said. Because he wants us to really think about this thing of being thankful. And appreciating what he's done for us. And he says, now, consider the great love of the Lord. He didn't have to do it, but he did. He didn't have to do it, but he did. Now, who's going to make God be good to you? Just think about that for a moment. Who's going to make God be good to you? Who's going to make God to show you his kindness or his favor? And yet, in Romans 2, God speaks about his kindness draws the sinner to himself. It's his kindness. Even though you don't deserve it, I'm showing you kindness just to draw you to myself. Look back up in verse 42 before we go to the rest of it. Look what he says about the upright, and then the wicked. We need to take note of that. Because, see, everybody is not the redeemed. And the Lord says the ones who are going to speak, the ones who's going to say thank you, the one who's going to recognize my goodness, the one who's going to recognize that my love endures forever, are the redeemed ones. So in verse 42, he simply says, The upright see and rejoice. The upright see. Do you really see how God ha- has worked in your life? 
Do you really see what God has done in your life? Do you really see it that you can say, thank you, Lord, and you know that it's not you yourself? But you can say, thank you, Lord, because he kept you. That you can say, thank you, Lord, because he lifted you up. That you can say, thank you, Lord, because he said, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will lift you up. He tells you, promotion doesn't come from the east or west or the south. Promotion comes from him. He makes kings. He takes kings down. God does it all. And can you say thank you? Can you say thank you for what God does in your life? And he says, boy, the upright see it. The redeemed see it. And they see it and they rejoice over it. And then they're rejoicing. They say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As they're rejoicing in it because they recognize somebody other than themselves has done this. And they're rejoicing. And they say, thank you. Now, he, he, he turns to the wicked and he says, but all the wicked shut their mouths. All the wicked shut their mouths. The wicked don't know who to thank. The wicked don't recognize a God. The wicked has not yet been redeemed. The wicked has not been saved. The wicked has not been delivered from whatever they're going through. So they have nothing to say. And if they did, all they could do is pat themselves. Look what I've done. And he says, the wicked does not voice a word of thanks to me. Because they do not see me working in their lives. They don't see me protecting them. They don't see me keeping them from the dangers that would snuff out their life. They don't see that. But he says, boy, the upright, they see it. Do you see God working in your life? Do you see God doing something in your life? Hey, he's a living God. And because he's alive, he does work in our lives. And we need to acknowledge that. We need to recognize it. And he says, boy, the wicked shut their mouth because they don't see, nor do they understand it. They don't see it, nor do they understand it. Now, what do the uprights really see? What do they see that the wicked do not see? And that's the thing that we're really going to investigate somewhat in the next couple of verses. What the one who is redeemed really see, the one who is delivered really see, the one who is healed really see, the one that God has really worked in their heart, what they really see that the wicked does not see. Nor can they rejoice in it because they don't see it. When you go in verses verse 4 and verse 7 in the first section. Why don't you look at verse 4. He says, Some wander in the desert or wasteland, finding no way to a city where they could settle. Boys, they just wonder. They're homeless. They don't know where to be. They don't know where to go. They have no address. They have nothing. They're just out here in the wasteland wondering, but have nothing. They can't even find a city. They can't even find a home. They can't even find a place. And he says, boy, 
They're just out there wondering. Some wandered in desert wasteland, finding no way to a city where they could what? Settle, where they could put down roots, where they can begin to build, where they can begin to accomplish things, where they can really begin to work at things. He said, they couldn't even find that. And guess what? Man can't find that on his own. Man can't find the real meaning of life on his own. Man can't discover his own purpose in life on his own. It has to be something that God reveals to us. Now look at verse 7, because God answers. Go down into verse 7. He says, He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. God led them. Now you can read in between, but I wanted to show you, boy, here they are. They're just lost, wandering all over the place. Don't know what to do, how to do it. Don't know their purpose in life. Don't know why God even gave them life. They don't understand. And they could never set down roots in a sense. Where they can grow and establish and be groomed. They're just wanderers all over the place. And the issue is to be settled where you can grow, where you can mature, where you can plant. And he said God led them to that city where they could what? Settle. Where they could settle. They could settle. God led them. Verses 10 through 13. The second part, where he said, boy, let them say thanks unto the Lord. Look at verses 10 through 13. <clears throat> he says, some said in darkness, and the deepest gloom. You want to know what that is? Depression. Darkness, gloom, depression. When you break that down in Hebrew, it is Depression. And he goes on, he says, prisoners suffering in iron chains. When you're in depression, it's like somebody has put you in iron chains. It's like somebody's put you in prison and you're there all by yourself. And the whole thing, he says, boy, they're there. They're stuck there. He goes a little further and he says, for they had rebelled against the words of God. Now, it didn't say they didn't know the word of God. Say it again. Rebelled. See, we can know God's word and not accept it. We can know God's word and not live it. We can know God's word and not do it. And he says, they rebelled against his word. And because of their rebellion, they afflicted themselves with their own sufferings. They afflicted themselves with their own depression. They afflicted themselves because I wanted to set them free, but they would not be free. And we need to understand that. And he says, boy, for they rebelled against the words of God and despaired and despise the counsel of the Most High. They despised it. They detested it. Now, catch this. It's not that God's not trying to talk to them. 
It's not that God isn't trying to meet with them and lead them. It's not like God is not trying to interact with them. But they despise what God is trying to do in their life. What they're saying to God is this. I don't want it. I don't want it. Don't talk to me no more. Let me do my own thing. And God says you bring on your own depression. You bring it on your own suffering. So in 13 he says, Then they cried. Now this is that loving kindness of God that endures. Even after you rebelled about my word, even after you despised me talking to you and trying to counsel with you, I still love you. And to prove it, the moment you cried out to me, I answered. I answered. Why? My love endures. What is it enduring? It's enduring your proud look. It's enduring your smart mouth. It's enduring you telling me you don't need me. It's enduring all the nasty things that you do in front of me, even though I've told you not to live that way, yet you do it. But what I want you to know, through all that, I still love you. Boy, I still love you. As nasty as you think you can be, I still love you. Because the real person you hurt, yes, you hurt my heart, but the real person you destroy and hurt is who? Yourself. And I did not give you life for you to destroy yourself. And he comes back there and he simply says, Boy, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He saved them from their distress. Boy, after all this, God still shows his love by saving them, by helping them, by ministering to them. Why? His love endures forever. And God doesn't know how to do anything else towards me but good. But good. And when I recognize that God is good to me and His love endures forever, I want to say, thank you, Lord. I know I don't deserve it, but thank you, Lord. I know that I deserve help, but thank you, Lord. I know I don't deserve your blessing, but thank you, Lord. I know I don't deserve you opening the door for me, but thank you, Lord. I know all these things that I've received, I don't really want, but thank you, Lord, because of your goodness and your love. That endures for me. That suffers long for me. And he says he delivered them out of their trouble. Out of their distress. And look what he says in 14. He brought them out of darkness. Out of their gloom. Out of their depression. You ever want to get out of your depression? Get busy for the Lord. Because it will change your mind. It will change your attitude. It changes your picture. It changes what you see. And it says, He brought them out of their gloomy days, out of their darkness, out of their depression. And He said, He broke their chains. 
when you look at him now, these verses 17 through 18, he says, some because, some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their own what? Our own sin causes us to suffer. Our own rebellion causes us to suffer. Our own willingness not to follow after the Lord causes us to suffer. And oftentimes, we want to blame other people for what they did to us. No, we need to look in the mirror real strongly and say, this is what I've done to myself. Nobody else has done it. Nobody else has done it. See, God had to do a work in me as a young man. When I first started in heating and air conditioning, I didn't take the job. Later in life, God brought me and this individual to be real good friends because God changed his heart, changed my heart. Fred Jennings was not going to pay me the same thing that the other apprentices were making. And he wanted to cut me by a dime because I was African American or I was black or whatever you want to call it. And in skilled trade, they wanted the black apprentices to take a dime less than the Caucasian. And I said no. Now a very good friend of mine said yes. I may have been the fool. He said yes. And he worked for a dime less than the other ones who were doing the same work that he was doing. But Tony Swoop went on to be the negotiators between skilled trade and unions for the government of the United States. And he retired three years ago in Washington. And his job was to sit down with different skilled trades around the United States and broker their deals when they would lock up. So God just lifted him up. But see, this old hard head of mine, no, I'm not working for a dime less than somebody else. Until I discovered a verse. God himself does not show favor upon just one. Then this other verse really hit it. In Romans, if God be for me, who can be against me? If God's on my side, who can stop me? If God's on my side, who can shut the door? If God's on my side, what's a dime? But in my foolishness and in my pride, I said no. So the second time it came around, I said yes. <laughs> but, but the thing I want you to catch is this. Oftentimes we suffer because of our own afflictions, our own sin, our own iniquity. We suffer. 
And he simply says there, boy, that you wind up suffering because of your own. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They lost all food and drew near the gates of death. Lost there means hate or not having a taste for. They came to a point they hated food to eat or they lost their appetite or they lost a taste for food and because they would not eat they came close to death they came close to death and he goes on and he says boy then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress rebellion their own iniquities that suffered them And then they cried again. He shows his goodness, his kindness, and his love. And he says, look at 20 now. Boy, look at what he says. He sent forth his word and healed them. Even in their rebellion and all their stuff, they sent forth his word and he healed them. I want to just drop down to verse 31. There it is. Sorry, 32. And we're going to close out. The other ones you can read for yourself. I think you're catching the point. That you can really see why I need to give thanks to God. And I can understand by going through these verses. God's love endures for who? For me. No matter what I've done. His love, he loves me. But I want you to catch now where he says this thanks, even though it takes place in the personal part, for in the very first verse it says, give thanks. You ought to give thanks. Then he gives you the two reasons why you should give thanks. Then he's going to bring you back to where once you've given thanks in your own personal life in a sense, and you recognized it, and you're, you, you said, thank you, Lord, he brings you to another place now where you witness of his goodness and you share among the brothers and the sisters what God has done. And we all say what? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So when you look in the verse 32, he says, let them exalt him. Where at? In the assembly. In the place of believers, in the place of the redeemed, in the place of those that have a like mind, that love God and willing to serve God, let them come to this assembly and say to the assembly, this is what God has done for me. And I thank Him. I thank Him. I thank Him. I'm not ashamed to say it in public. This is what God has done for me. Boy, if God broke this thing in your life, if God set you free in this in your life, if God's done that in your life, you ought to be able to stand up in the assembly before people and say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. And you're not ashamed of it. Because of what He's done. Why? You've seen Him work in your life in ways that others have not seen it. You've seen His love, even though you know you don't deserve that love. Knowing that you should be a bastard child. Knowing that you should be put out. Knowing that you should be illegitimate. Yet he loves you with an enduring love and everlasting love. He loves you. 
And he says, you stand in the assembly and you thank me. Because you're not ashamed of what I've done in your life. You recognize I'm your helper in your life. You know what I've helped you overcome in your life. And then, the second place he brings it, he says, Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people, and praise him in the council of the elders. Now, what's the council of the elders? There's your leadership. When Congress start thanking God, we'll have a different count. We'll have a different Congress when they start thanking God. When the leadership of a group start thanking God and understanding the leadership is not coming from who? From self, but from God. We thank Him even among the elders in the council in our leadership. Because we understand it's not from us. It's from Him. It's from Him. One of the best things that a man can do with his family is let his family and his children know, I thank God. Because the provisions and the leadership of this household doesn't really come from me. It comes from Him here and then on out. And the leadership takes time to say, thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord, for your work. For your work. The worst thing leadership could ever do is think somehow they've gotten together and strategized something and put a program together or done something that's going to really honor God or really affect the kingdom of God. But it's when we have set in prayer, when we've set with the Word of God, and we've waited upon the Holy Spirit to move upon us, that we say, Thank you, Lord, because we know the directions we need to take. If I can encourage you as husbands and as fathers, you spend some time alone with God first. God, what do you want of my family? How do you want me to lead my family? Lord, what do you want me to say to my family? How would you have me to act before my family? Lord, minister to me that I might what? Minister to my family. Lord, order my steps that I can say to my son and my daughter and my wife, follow me as I'm following Christ. That I spent time with him. And all the success of this Brown family, all the success of the Johnson family, all the success of whatever family it is, it goes to who? Yes. To God. To God. And we all can say it together then. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Me and my wife can hold hands together and say, Thank you, Lord. Me, my wife, and my children, the assembly in my household, we can all stand together and say, Thank you, Lord. Why? We've been able to witness and see what God has done. Amen? He's worthy of our thanks. 
He's worthy of our praise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word.